0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy com slash easy cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
1: Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick,
2: and I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the Sportacast.
1: Oh, Eben, you had a perfect opportunity to give up your locale there. And this is the locked in my car. There's too much noise everywhere. It's the only quiet place I could find Sportacast. Uh, we, for people who don't know, we do in our platform, we have a way to look at each other. And you popped on the screen and I, and I see a sunroof and the window and the trees. And you're just sitting in a car.
2: Subaru should use this in their Outback ads. Uh, not only is it four-wheel drive, it is also an audio studio.
1: Yeah, you are absolutely impervious to fans of show uh, or or those who dislike uh, the show. Nobody can throw anything at you. You know, maybe it'll hit the glass, but that's about it. And, and I and I joke about a, a matter that is not funny. That is not a joking matter because we keep having now all of these incidents at stadiums and arenas where folks just think they can behave any way they want. And the latest, of course. Is the Brooklyn Nets and Boston Celtics, where Kyrie Irving appeared to like stamp on the the logo of of the Celtics at Center Court and then when he was walking and by the way, who cares, but as he's walking off the court, somebody threw a bottle of water at him didn't hit him, but threw a bottle a bottle of water at him and what we did see in various videos is somebody somebody in a Celtics Kevin Garnett jersey being led away in handcuffs by police. Like, Evan, this is just one of a number of incidents we've had. We had popcorn on Russell Westbrook. A New York fan spat at Trey Young of the Hawks in Utah. You know, the fans were saying terrible things to John Moran, to the Grizzlies. Is this just that there's more of it? Or is it just being recorded? Is it the return of fans? Uh, What is going on? Because frankly, I I know this is toward the player, but you and I have discussed this in the past. I've always found fan behavior absolutely uh, abhorrent because you know they're they're fighting and beating each other up in the parking lots. It's just, I mean, now we're we're toward the athletes though, and this is a real concern for leagues and teams.
2: So it's a good question. I think there, there's two things that I would say my my opinion here. One. I think a part of this is the fact that fans have not been in buildings for, for 18 months. And I'm not going to say they've forgotten how to act, but I think, yeah, there's a, there's a bit of misbehavior probably tied to the fact that, you know, there, there's a lot of fan passion right now. People are kind of trying to, to squeeze in a lot of the cheering they wish they could have done over the past year. And I think that's part of it. Two, I also think the athletes themselves are becoming more outspoken about this. Right? I mean, I remember Mets-Phillies games where fans were throwing batteries. Uh, and the reason you can't get a, a top on your water bottle at any stadium is because they don't want it to be used as a projectile, right? The idea of throwing bottles on the field is not a new phenomenon in any way across any sport. Uh, but I do think the big difference is now you're seeing after the game these players, and some of them are stars. You saw James Harden sticking up for Kyrie Irving earlier this week, Uh, When when James Harden says this is unacceptable and these fans need to be banned, that adds a sense of urgency, I think, for the NBA. So I I certainly think that the fans returning to the building is is one thing. I don't think this behavior is all that new, kind of writ large. But again, once Russell Westbrook and James Harden and the biggest stars in the league start calling for major changes, that is going to precipitate major changes on the team side.
1: Yeah, this is a business of basketball issue or a business of sports issue because the players and, and the union will make it one. They can just say this is unsafe work conditions and we're not going to go out there. Absolutely. For those that go get over it or do whatever, get out, you get paid a lot of money. None of that matters here. This is a, a, a hardcore business issue for the teams and the leagues and a legitimate concern for the players. I mean, the, you must provide a safe environment for the players to ply their trade. And I just wonder, though. I laugh, you know. If you've been in an NHL locker room, you know you can't step on the logo. <laughs> uh, you, you know about these things, yeah, right? Of course, uh, I made I that mean, mistake once. It, in it, the radio it, yeah, room. you saw who was it that stomped on the the, the star at, at the Cowboys Stadium, and then oh, like Terrell play- right? yeah. and then the player from the Cowboys came over and like totally crushed him. I'm like, come on, guys, like you, just stop, all right? You know, if somebody wants to behave like a fool and step on your logo whatever <laughs> you know all right dude you look like a fool out there doing what you're doing but uh on the serious matter that yes the, the leagues are going to be pressed to provide a uh a safe environment and then you look to the team side as well uh you see in these statements and and i do chuckle like it matters if it's a season ticket holder or not like the teams are pointing out this was not a season ticket holder that did it you know you know Um, Do we move to the point now, Evan, where you as the primary ticket holder, if you resell your seat, are responsible for the behavior of the person that gets your ticket? I'm sorry it wasn't you and you let somebody else go. You should know who this person is, but you now lose your season tickets because the person utilizing your ticket did something really darn stupid at the game.
2: Yeah, paging Mike McCann to answer that one. Yeah, I think it's an interesting thought for sure. I think that almost no question we're going to see the fine print on tickets and season tickets maybe changing in the wake of of, of this week that we've seen. I have kind of always wondered, Scott, and I'll bring in another topic we want to talk about here, uh, which is the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, but I've wondered if there's going to be kind of a, a change in the way that uh, we, we've we've said teams want to control their tickets more. They want to know who's in the building. If there's going to be more draconian's not the right word but a stricter ticketing policy that we see around season tickets, around fans, what they can say, what they can do, what they can wear, as a result of some of this, and, and what I'm talking about with the Lightning. The Lightning, dating back, I think, to 2015, have had, there were two policies, one of which was changed a while ago, one was just changed. But for a while, they were only, they were giving priority to people from area codes around Tampa Bay, to buy playoff tickets. Zip code. As zip a way codes. of... Yep. Zip code, sorry. Yep. Yes. Um, as a way of essentially making sure that there was priority for people who were more likely to be Tampa Bay Lightning fans. It's a bigger home field environment. It's a better atmosphere for players and fans. And the second part of that is in their premium seating, which is, I believe, about 10% of the arena. They were not letting people wearing opposing teams' uniforms, t-shirts, logos, etc. Uh, they changed that zip code rule a couple years ago after some criticism this uniform rule they changed, I believe, this week, Scott, after a video popped out uh, of a Florida Panthers fan and his son getting essentially told by security that they were going to call the cops if, if they didn't either move to a different location or take their shirts off. Um, but these are policies, and, and again, kind of going back, tying this back to what's going on in the NBA, these were policies that were essentially designed to create a very specific fan environment in the arena. That was different. That essentially kind of cut off the things that the team didn't want to see.
1: Yeah, Tampa's close enough to Orlando that I I think there's going to be some in arena staff training for the Lightning personnel from the Disney Institute. You probably don't want to threaten the dad with the what? What was it? An eleven year old, (laughs) eleven year old, -old, with an eleven year old son sitting there. With we're going to have to call the police. And the first thing the father said is, "My son's already frightened, right? Because everybody's there talking to them." This just, uh, I get it. I mean, I do, I get it, but I still think it's absolute lunacy that you're looking to restrict the colors of the visiting team. I mean, this is sport. It, it, it harkens me back to the great debate that we saw from Seinfeld, right? But there's one great difference where Elaine went to the Yankees Orioles game and she's wearing the Orioles cap and the mm-hmm. usher comes down and says, you have to take the cap off. There's one difference. Somebody pointed that out on Twitter and I don't usually respond on Twitter. I said, but as a loyal fan of the show, I felt the need to point out that those were the owner's seats. They got them from Elaine's boss, got it from the owner. So if you're sitting in the owner's box as a courtesy, you know, courtesy tickets from the owner, it's probably not a great idea to be wearing the colors of the other team. Although I will tell you, if I was the owner of a sports team and I offered my tickets to somebody. And they said to me, well, the person I'd like to bring happens to be a fan of the other team. And do you mind? I'd say, of course not. That's what we're here for. This is entertainment. That's okay. You know, not everybody has to be a fan of that particular team. But uh, it, did get, it did get changed within 24 hours of that, that video going viral. And I think that's the change here also, Eben. It, it's the fact that we're seeing these things. Not long ago, that interaction would have occurred That person, Mm -hmm. in all likelihood, would have been relocated somewhere in the arena and been not happy and had a bad experience, and now we see it, we know about it, and what choice does the team have? I mean, they come off looking terrible with the way that was handled.
2: So let me ask you, um, because I think you and I are in agreement that this is a, a, a bad rule that was changed in Tampa Bay. In 15 years, do you think there are no big five teams that have a rule like that? Like the one that was just rescinded? Do you think there are some? I would not be shocked if in the future we see a lot more policies like that. That is essentially, we want you, if you're sitting near the glass, we want you in the home team colors. We want to give priority to people who live in our city to buy, you know, have the first the first grab at at, at playoff tickets when the lottery opens. Again, I know that the the Tampa Bay has gone the other way and gotten rid of both these policies. I would not be shocked if in the future they become fairly normal uh, for sports teams, particularly in the playoffs.
1: I go the other way, and I ask this all the time as as executives, and we're going to have Scott O'Neill from Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, of course, parent company of the Sixers and the Devils, on. What have I said forever, forever, Eben, when I talk to sports executives and owners on the show or whenever, that I don't think anybody has done a good job in creating... A distinctive atmosphere in their arenas. It's pretty much the same experience. And I've been all over the place. You know that. You know, I've been across the country, across the globe, plenty of arenas and stadiums. And I will tell you to this day, the only real experience that sticks out in my mind, well, I should say, two. You have, because I always use the example, you have the Duke basketball student section, the Cameron crazies where they're standing and jumping for the entire game and they're not looking at their cell phones, whatever. And Steve Ballmer and I had that conversation. He loved that idea. And then there was the world championship of basketball. And this is where you're borrowing from the European culture. Um, when, um, draws played for the nets. Uh, I, I just remember there was this, like, there was a, a section of fans that were waving flags and, and banging drums. And I, I just thought it brought such a flair to the arena that was like nothing I'd ever seen. And if you go and look at the atmosphere, and by the way, th- I mean, that would make, some of it would make throwing one water bottle at a player look rather tame. But I'm saying if you borrow the good, which is sort of this inclusive, fans are part of it, create the atmosphere yourself. I would love to see in the NBA, right behind the basket, a standing room only section where fans are up and waving and cheering and jumping, it would create an atmosphere of entertainment where it would not matter one lick if 10, 20, 30 people were in the opposing journey scatter- a jersey scattered along, you know, whether it's on the glass in hockey or down low, it wouldn't matter. You would create the ultimate home court, not only advantage, but distinct feel, which is what entertainment is all about.
2: Yeah. I mean, to to play devil's advocate a little bit, European soccer crowds are are fantastic. People talk about the environment there. Most of those teams, especially the big ones, deliberately partition fans of, of one team from fans from the other team. Oftentimes the partition is a huge glass barrier that you actually can't even get over if you wanted to. If, if an NBA team tried that, I think there would be some outcry, right? If, if the Knicks said, you know, when we play the Nets, all the Nets fans have to be in this little glassed-off section of the arena, and that's the only place we're going to let them be. Um, but again, I, I do wonder if we're going to end up with more policies like that, that end up kind of restricting what fans can do in stadiums, as opposed to kind of the free-for-all where most of American sports is right now.
1: All right, I'm going to disagree with you. I think we're going to get less restrictive. You think we're going to get more. Just the penalties will become more severe. Speaking of penalties, right? Roland Garros has uh, given one to Naomi Osaka.
2: Another hot topic.
1: Yeah, another hot topic for her decision not to partake in post-match interviews. They fined her $15,000, but the other, all the Grand Slams got together, and now there is this threat of defaulting her from the tournament if she does not acquiesce and participate in all of the media functions, your thoughts?
2: I mean, I've got a number of thoughts. One, the fan in me does not care. We should mention that Naomi essentially said it it was a mental health issue, which is why she doesn't want to do it. Um, I, the fan in me doesn't care. The journalist in me also doesn't care. I know there are people in our profession, Scott, who go crazy when when they feel like they are entitled to uh, the athlete's thoughts at, at all moments after and before matches. I don't feel that way at all. I applaud her if, if it is true that these things are are stressful for her in a way that is detrimental to her health. I applaud her for taking a stand on this. The one thing I do see is that if I'm the WTA, I want Naomi Osaka talking to the media. She's a young star, she's the future of the sport. She's extremely charismatic. Um she's very charming. Having Naomi Osaka in front of cameras is good for the WTA. And if this becomes a trend where a lot of star tennis players decide, you know, I don't want to do these these media things They're annoying. The questions are bad, both of which are true. I've been to the U.S. Open enough times to know that these women get asked questions in six different languages, oftentimes the exact same question. There's way too much prying into parts of their personal life that I think are not germane to the sport itself. Um, But again, if I'm the WTA I want, and, and this might not be the best way to do it, Finding her and threatening her. Out of Wimbledon might not be the best way to do it, but if I'm women's tennis, I want Naomi Osaka in front of cameras because it's good for my brand and it's good for my sport.
1: Yeah, I got so many things r- running through my brain. Um, first off, Billie Jean King was out on Twitter saying that it, it's sort of her responsibility to do it. She understands, like, like you understand that sometimes it's not the best experience. But if you look back in the day, the media helped to build and the future. Like not everybody's a star, and if you want to continue to build, you need the superstars partaking with the media. Okay, that's one. Uh, I think of Rashid Wallace in the NBA, where he wouldn't years ago, he wouldn't talk to the media or gave one-word answers. Uh, And I'll I'll laugh that Brian McIntyre, the old PR chief of the NBA, he made up t-shirts and gave it out to the media, like with whatever the one-word answer was from Rashid. So he kind of had some fun with it while behind the scenes, you knew they were talking to him. Then you have the, I'm just here so I don't get fined. (laughs) Marshawn. yeah, 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 Marshawn, I'm just here so I don't get fined. Um, but, uh, as far as the sort of bad questions and the sort of, can you talk about that kind of deal? Um, something I learned early on in the journalism career, and I don't remember if it was in school or if it was in the real world, but here, here it was. And I firmly 1000% believe this to be true as a journalist, I can ask you anything it could be the worst you may think it's the worst question you may not have any idea why i'm asking that question what i'm working on what i can ask you anything you are a professional athlete you are a grown-up you are another person i can ask you anything you don't have to answer it that's the beauty of the give and take you can say to me i don't wish to discuss that next question Done. That's all it is. And I saw Naomi's sister was out. She put a statement out saying uh, part of the mental health part of it was that she, I I guess, I didn't know this, like Naomi Osaka does not have a great record on clay. And she has it in her head that she can't win Roland Garros. So when people keep asking her about it, you know, as an athlete, you don't want any negativity when you're, if you you have to believe it, if you're going to go out and do it, I get that. I totally get it. But as we've seen with, whether it's Tiger or Tom Brady or I mean, look at all like that mental part of the game is a part of the game that need to be able to block it out, go out and perform, overcome adversity, whatever it is. That's part of the gig. So, um, I, I do not believe you want to get to a point, bad look, by the way, um, to put out sort of on Twitter, like the other athletes that were cooperating saying they get it or they, you know, they got the. That's a bad (laughs) idea. I mean, what are you going to do? Uh, here we are, you and I in New York, and we're going to roll around to September and the U.S. Open is going to come. Who are you going to put out there on your Saturday night you know, match? The public wants to see the superstars. They want to see Naomi Osaka. You can only do so much. Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, Djokovic, uh, and uh, Serena Williams. You can only do so much of that. You know, you, The stars are the prime time. It's why people come. It's who they want to see. So... You think again? There has to be some sort of happy medium here. But on the grand scale, I will go back to that that thing I said. Uh, I can ask you anything; you do not have to answer. Ah. I I agree, I agree. and I, I wish more
2: journalists agreed with with you and I on that. I remember I can't remember the year, but when the when Cam Newton played the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl, I think that the game was in in San Francisco. Afterwards, Cam had, you know, he essentially stormed out of his press conference. He was more or less refusing to answer questions. they just lost the Super Bowl. He was in a really bad mood. And I was standing there in the room, and journalists were livid. They could not believe that Cam Newton would have the gall after losing the Super Bowl to be terse answering questions. They felt like they had a right for him to sit there and answer them all. I Again, I don't agree with that at all, but I certainly do understand why the WTA feels the need to at least try to nudge Naomi. And again, I don't think the tactics are particularly good right now, but it is certainly important for the WTA to have her as a willing participant, not just in playing, but in also promoting the game. And Scott, do, do we have ideas? I mean, what's the, if you were running the U.S. Open and and, and someone, your boss came to you and said, okay, I, we want to make sure that Naomi talks to the media how can we structure this in a way that makes her happy, that keeps journalists happy, that, that, that gets her message out there? What's the, what's the right way to do that? Is it written questions? I mean, how, how do we find the media?
1: Uh, I don't think you want to go pre-screening and deciding who, like friendly only, only friendly fire, so to speak. I don't think you can do that. I think you need to sit with her and say we're sympathetic. Maybe if she requires a greater cooling off period after a match, so don't bring an emotional athlete, and this could be anybody. I understand how hard it is. I've been in the locker rooms ten minutes after teams have lost championships, or player has uh, player X has really made a, a boneheaded play, and I've been in the locker and I've had to stand there and ask the questions and the or the, of the owners. I get it. They're allowed emotion. It's built on emotion. That's what we love, and they're not always going to have the perfect response. I get it, but perhaps then you say. All right. Sorry. You know, Naomi is not going to be in the interview room five minutes after the match. She's going to take 25 minutes. Uh, she's going to have a cooling off period. And, and then uh, hopefully we can get some cooperation and and she'll participate and be in a better mindset to to get a question that maybe she doesn't like and then can say, I'd rather not discuss. I mean, that, that's that's one. I mean, that's just top of top of mind. I think a cooling off period would help. It's not easy to come, or come into an interview session right after you've lost a huge game. That much I can tell you from being face-to-face with many athletes and executives and owners uh, after, the, after the team has lost. So, And everybody's different. I get it. It's not easy. By no means do I mean to suggest that it is easy and everybody's built the same. I get it. And if she has a legitimate concern. She has raised that concern. Now it's time for the parties to get together and say, how do we address those concerns? You know how, by the way, you know how Clark County, how's that for a segue, is addressing <laughs> the, the, uh, the debt on the Raiders stadium, speaking of things that might not be working out exactly as they, as they plan? <laughs> I mean, Evan, for the second time in six months, Clark County, of course, in Nevada, they've had to pull millions of reserve funds to meet a payment in the Raiders. Ready for this? One-year-old stadium. The second time they did the same in November. Two times now that Clark County has had to dig into the reserve fund, which means, by the way, taxpayers are footing the bill. And they knew anyway because they committed seven hundred and fifty million dollars to building a stadium for the Raiders. The most, biggest public thing, yeah, the biggest, record, public, think, yeah, right? the biggest yeah. public subsidy in the history of sport. But for the second time, they've had to dip in to the reserve fund. I mean, it was an unscheduled draw of $11.7 million from the funds that backstop $645 million in bonds that were issued in 2018. And Clark County is saying, well, right now it's happening because of lack of tourism. You know, COVID has tourism down. And the way they were going to pay these bonds was there was a hotel tax on the Strip, 0.088% of your bill, hotel tax, and 0.05% of the hotels closer to the stadium. And they're saying occupancy is down, less money coming in. But because they were general obligation bonds, and for people who don't know sort of the intricacies of this, paging Joe Mysack, hello. Hi, Joe, if you listen to the show. That they're general obligation bonds. So pretty much what that means is if they never welcome another guest again into those those hotels, that Clark County and its taxpayers is still on the hook. So, you know, uh, two times in the last six months for a one-year-old stadium.
2: Yeah, I mean, could there have been a a worse date to open a stadium backed by by tourism bonds than the date that the that the Raiders Stadium opened last year? I mean, part of this is is obviously uh, extremely poor timing, and then the other part of this, I think, kind of underscores how bad a deal some of these stadiums are for taxpayers, and this is going to end up costing more than it originally originally laid out, and that was also a record, Scott for. The way that the way that public funds stadiums.
1: You want some good um, numbers, Evan? You want some good numbers? Ready yeah, give me the good numbers. It's like looking at it's looking at your mortgage statement way out. So <laughs> oh, those are bad the, numbers, for Yeah, me. exactly. This is no bueno. <laughs> so by 2048, when the time, by the time the debt is retired, so we're you know we're looking out, the county will have paid seven hundred and nine million dollars in interest on top of the six hundred and forty-five million dollars. In principle, again, seven hundred and nine million in interest on top of six forty five in principle. And if you broke it down, sort of how the stadium was built: seven hundred and fifty million from Clark County, two hundred million from the NFL, two hundred and fifty million from PSLS, and six hundred million loan—a bank loan—to the Raiders. And this is an important story because it seems to me there's a team in Major League Baseball right now making some noise. We don't like our stadium situation build us a new one or else we'll look elsewhere and one of those towns that has been mentioned has been las vegas
2: yeah i I mean part of me wonders is is this the straw that kind of breaks the camel's back in terms of, of 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 public money you know not being used for stadiums anymore but the truth scott is we've had this evidence for a long time it's not hard to look into the past at you know, the, the 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 amount of money that a public has given for a stadium and a lot of good work from economists that show that the, the money wasn't generated in the way that it was promised. Uh, again, it, this almost feels like the Olympic conversation we had the other day, where there is so much economic proof and evidence that hosting the Olympics may not be the economic panacea that a lot of people claim it is. But people still bid to host the Olympics. There's still a desire from international cities to do it. And the truth, at least right now, seems to be the same for stadiums. There's a lot, there's a body of evidence that publicly funded stadiums do not bring back to the community the way that they are often pitched. But the truth is that the the the, the Oakland Athletics will probably find either in California or somewhere else uh, a, a legislature and 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 a oh, I don't think public they're gonna find it in California. That's one mistake, so, right? So, there. I don't so, think yeah, they'll they, find, they it may in not find it in California.
1: Maybe in Portland, Oregon. Maybe right.
2: Do you, do you think they end up in a stadium that gets a, a pretty hefty, you know, nine figure public subsidy? I think they do, um, because I think there's still people out there that 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 really want to have sports teams in their cities and 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 believe rightly or wrongly that there's a a, a big boost that comes with getting it.
1: Yeah, um, you, you might be right, but I just think of of those cities you need as possible destinations. Uh, I wonder if Las Vegas is still on that list for the Oakland A's because of this. Listen, they can say now. We've got a football team. We've got a hockey team. By the way, we're also getting a lacrosse team. Joe Ty is, is bringing mm-hmm. a lacrosse team to Las Vegas, a National Lacrosse League team to Las Vegas. So, you know, we've got big-time sports. Do we really need baseball? Do we need to spend more money to build another team, another stadium? Because if you've ever been to Vegas in the summer, that better be a dome stadium. <laughs> You're not playing outdoors in Vegas. So uh, And I would not I think- be
2: shocked, Scott, if Major League Soccer, uh, the franchise that was going yep. to be in Sacramento, if they continue to struggle with, with the ownership and, and the money-raising part of that, I would not be shocked if that 30, 30th, I believe, franchise ends up in Las Vegas in, in a year or two.
1: All right. We'll end on that proclamation from Eben Novi Williams sitting in the Subaru. As I just said, he is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our social media coordinator, Clara Veltman, likes us to tell you that the show is at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Podcast Network.